So let us pray. Dear God, may the words of our mouths, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Amen. And good morning once again to all of you. Good morning. I am very grateful to Reverend Ann Furmeister and to the session of Crossroads Presbyterian Church, to you, the congregation, to Presbyterian Promise, friends who are here with us and members of the congregation, for the chance to join you here this morning as the evangelist for that all may freely serve and two more weeks as the stated supply pastor at Yonhu's Presbyterian Church and Neighborhood House in New York City, where I am completing my time there. But even so, more than any of this, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your steadfastness, and your commitment to the gospel of love and justice, which I think is just another way of saying the gospel of Jesus Christ in the way that you welcome and love people here with the abundant hospitality that you have. Thank you. You know, if I had a chance to hang out with any of the prophets, one of them definitely would be Isaiah. And I'd hang out with him for a bunch of reasons, not only, not only because he covers this broad swath of history in the ancient times from about the 880s BCE, before the common era, to the 500s, but because when you get Isaiah, you get a whole bunch of authors. It's written over a period that scholars break into three sections, First Isaiah, which are the first 39 chapters, and then Second Isaiah, which goes up to about chapter 55 from 40, which is where we are today. And then Third Isaiah, which completes the text and is really about the time after they've been freed from the captivity in Babylonia. And today's reading in Second Deutero-Isaiah, Deuter- or Second Isaiah, follows the time where the Jews had been held in captivity for 60 years, 60 years, and they were finally being released under the rule of Cyrus of Persia, who defeated the Babylonians. And the reading starts out by saying, but now. See, there's been a change. It's not like it was before, but now. And it indicates that things are different compared to what took place in the past. You see, the God who created you, that you thought was angry at you, that you thought was punishing you, has just released you. And Isaiah says, you have nothing to fear. In fact, he goes further, this author, he or she, and says that the fires that you feared that would consume you can no longer consume you. The floods cannot overwhelm you. That is not the God that has brought you out of captivity to punish you. These things have no more effect on you because you are loved by a God who will trade nations for you. And his or her message goes a little bit further in the text. There were some problems. They were coming out of this Babylonian time. There were a lot of gods in the Babylonian Empire. There was a certain amount of syncretism where they were still worshiping zealously according to the Jewish traditions, but at the same time had picked up some of these other practices in captivity. And Isaiah is telling them, you don't need those anymore. You don't need to have a couple extra gods just in case the one that you hope works doesn't work. Yahweh works. God loves you. You can let go of these things. 
and, and far from punishing, creates this period of time for restoration and return to what Isaiah believes is ahead for them. And it is a time filled with great promise. And perhaps what is most important in Isaiah's message, one of the important things, is to the people of Israel, God has heard you. Your hearts, your prayers, your thoughts, God has heard it all. And you're being released. And I think perhaps, you know, that is so important, just knowing that you're heard by God. Just knowing that God knows you. Several years ago, after... Come on in. <laughs> Several years ago, after 9-11, that, that time, uh, that was, has been brought up so many times following Sandy, you almost couldn't talk about Sandy without somebody saying, and 9-11, because they were just such enormous events. I wandered out to Pelham Bay Park in the Bronx, which is actually the largest park in New York City in all of the suburbs. It's on Long Island Sound, Orchard Beach. This is the winter time I was out there. It's absolutely gorgeous. There's nobody there. And it is a place where I would go and walk the trails to meditate, sometimes to talk to God. It always sort of ended up in a conversation with God. And on this particular day, I was sort of in not such a hot mood. I was really troubled by this terrible thing that had happened to us. And I started out saying, you know, why? Well, why? Why is it this way? Why do you create us and put us here and then create these things? And I was in the process for ordination as an openly gay person in the Presbyterian of Hudson River. And we were in the midst of all of this G60106B stuff. If you know what that was, it's the... Fidelity and Chastity Amendment in the Constitution that was used to keep people who were lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender from serving as leaders in the church. And there was all sorts of nutty stuff going on. And I said, you know, if you are calling people to serve, why are you putting them through this? And when the ground didn't open up beneath me and I didn't get sucked into the ground, I got a little more daring. I said, and what about my kid brother? what he went through before he died. And what about these poor people? And what about, and what about, and I went on and on. And if there were anybody, was anybody on the trails those days, I didn't see them. And if they saw me, I think they ran in the other direction. Because by this time it was cold and you could see my breath that I was speaking out loud. And I was in the midst of an argument with God, perhaps. Um... And it probably went on for 15 or 20 minutes, maybe longer, I don't know. And then, and then I was just standing there quietly. I stopped, and I looked around, and it was silent. And it was as if the, the trees that had lost their leaves, of course, it was wintertime, and the, the ground and the, even the air sort of spoke in a voice of God in a way that I heard and said... Are you done? <laughs> I smiled and I thought, yeah, I'm done. And, you know, I didn't get any answers that day. But I knew I had been heard. I knew that deep down inside, the, the questions I had, the pain I was feeling, the hurt I was experiencing, whatever it was, 
that God heard me that day. And really, that's all I wanted. I just wanted to know that I wasn't alone. In some way, maybe beloved, but I wanted to know that I had been heard. And I trusted in this. And had this walk on that park been recently, certainly I would have talked about the tragedy that has shaken us to our core in Newtown. And I would have asked the same questions. And I would have known when I was done as well that God heard, not just me, but all of those families and all of those people who were saying, why? Why this way? And I would also know that those children were embraced by God because they were God's beloved and are. And that they now were around us as angels to help us through these times. And that they too would be heard. This being heard is very important, I think. And when we read this morning's gospel that Reverend Ann read for us, Luke's gospel, and Jesus hears what the Hebrews referred to as the daughter's voice. It, it is actually the voice of God that breaks into the natural world and lets itself be heard in whatever way it might, following the time of the last of the prophets. It wasn't prophecy necessarily, but it was sort of God saying, I'm still here, and when I want to poke my head in or my finger or my voice and speak, you will hear me. The Hebrews called it the bat kol, daughter voice. And in whatever way Jesus heard it, I think not only did Jesus hear God say, you are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. But that God heard Jesus' question as well and said, yes, you're on the right path. Stay on the path. You know, over the years of being involved in the PCUSA, I didn't begin here. Um, I began in another tradition where eventually it became almost, at least to me, a requirement to enter into an abusive relationship with this particular church in order to have a relationship with God. And finally, I couldn't twist myself into that pretzel anymore. And when I found the Presbyterian Church, it really was the first time that I had been welcomed, which I think is another way of saying I had been heard in a deep way, in the way that God had created me, and welcomed in the hospitality of South Church in Dobbs Ferry in this case, which is a church very much like Jan Hus in the city that I serve and Crosstown Presbyterian Church where hospitality and welcoming are critical. And over the years, as I found myself being pulled to ministry, there were so many wonderful people who spoke to me that I'm convinced that frequently when I talk to others that, oh, that it's God talking to me through others. And I listen. I listen so I can hear others and so that I can hear that daughter voice. And it was that daughter voice in this church, PCUSA, where I found that welcoming. And the idea of being welcoming here, welcomed here, you know, after a while, it wasn't just about, well, I'm welcome, thank you very much. That's right. What it was was we made a commitment 
to the folks who we chose to welcome and committed ourselves to welcoming so that it was no longer about one particular group in a place that was perhaps, as we believe and know, suffering marginalization and oppression inclusion, exclusion, but it was about us, who we are. And it became bigger than any one of us that this is the way we are. This is how we are beloved, and this is how we love others. You stood with us, allies and friends. You stood with the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community when there weren't other people who could stand because of the fears that were involved. And you took the lead in making sure that this became a welcoming church. You loved us, and it was marvelous work that we were given to do with one another. And in that process, our hearts were set on fire. Presbyterian Promise and that all may freely serve have been in a covenantal relationship with one another for a very long time. Dick, how many years? 30-something years we've been in a covenantal relationship. And with more like Presbyterians and Presbyterian Voices for Justice and Covenant Network and Presbyterian Welcome, we have started to see the effects of those 30 years and the way that our church is changing and the way that our constitution is changing. And we have come to recognize that the prophetic voice is still with us. And when that voice speaks, we do our best to listen. You know, Isaiah spoke about what would be following captivity. And Luke talks about Jesus and the Spirit in our lives after the baptism. And so too have we all been called to take the promise and the affirmation of being God's beloved to all. And that, my friends, is what the work of that All May Freely Serve, along with the other groups, is about. But this morning, I just briefly wanted to let you know that that All May Freely Serve that was begun many years ago with Janie Spar and Lisa Largest, that in a word, the vision we have today is simple. That no person who is lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender in this church is ever alone or more than a phone call away. The vision is that by connecting ourselves at a grassroots level with the many people over these last 30 or 40 years that know the struggle in terms of gender identity and welcoming of the gay community in the church, know the struggle of what it is for women's ordination, know the other struggles that we have all gone through, that we connect with people around the country so that when someone out there is suffering, is being pushed away from their family or their church because of whatever reasons, but because that church or that family cannot accept them, that they have someone to call and then we can connect people. I was coming in this morning, we were talking about how important the connections are. And so we can send people out two by two so that if somebody in, in Colorado somewhere calls into our helpline and says, we've got a kid who just came out in his youth group at school, and now it's all over at the church, and the pastor doesn't know exactly what to do. They haven't dealt with this before. We can reach out to people to help. And, you know, I will tell you, I don't know the answers to the big, big questions. I really don't. We, we serve 20,000-plus people who are living in homeless conditions in New York City annually at Yanu's Church. We start out our day by collecting the mail for 600 people that have no permanent address. We receive the mail and we distribute it. I don't know how to get 600 people a permanent address. I don't know how to eliminate 
homelessness and poverty. I do not know how to wipe violence out, but I can deliver one envelope at a time to somebody who comes in with hospitality and welcoming. I can hand somebody something to eat when they are hungry and say, how are you? Tell me how you're doing. And we can be by somebody when for whatever reason they are felt like they have no church, no place, no God, that they are welcome in, which perhaps is the greatest sin of all. As I read Luke in the description of the winnowing fire and the dove and the spirit coming upon us, what I thought about was how warming the heart becomes when we do things like that. How on fire we are when we suddenly realize that one to one to another, we can make somebody feel loved. Make somebody feel welcome. Wipe away all of that chaff that has built up over time in abusive, exclusive relationships with institutions and churches. And just let people know they are loved. And that's the work. Just as it did on that day when the Cleopas and his friend walked from the tomb going to Jerusalem and the stranger was among them and after Jesus became known to them and then left, they said, weren't our hearts on fire when he was with us? Aren't our hearts on fire when Jesus is with us and when we're carrying the message and the good news of the gospel of justice and love to those who have felt excluded marginalized, dehumanized, and told that they have no place in a faith community. When you welcome somebody as you have, you turn all of that around. And not only are you letting folks know that they are beloved, but I got to tell you, one of the first words out of my mouth when I found out that there was a church where as a gay person I could be welcomed and even serve and meet people who understood who I was. You know, one of the first things I said was, oh. <laughs> Amen.